0: welcome to Why Everybody Hates You, an audio support group for reputation professionals. If you have any responsibility for how people talk, think and feel about your organisation, then you're in the right place. My name is Daisy Pell Chandler, and today we're talking about Why Reputation Matters to Investors. As a reputation consultant, often I'm brought into a boardroom or a committee where not everyone is on the same page about how much reputation matters. Sometimes even my direct client is interested in measuring reputation not because they see it as a priority, but because their boss has asked for it. And one of the most common phrases used by the naysayers is that none of this matters as long as the investors are happy. So in this episode, we look at the evidence to back that claim. And we speak to some of these investors to understand why investors do, in fact, care about reputation. Investors play a major part in the success of plenty of businesses. For some companies, the relationship with investors will be direct and personal. Others are mediated by the stock market and media. All of those are impacted by the reputation of the company. How so? Surely professional investors only care about the hard numbers in the business case. But investment is about far more than just the numbers. It is about how the numbers are interpreted. And here reputation makes a significant difference. I spoke to Marta Borhag, Global Head of Sustainable Outcomes for Aviva Investors, about why it matters.
1: So reputation for us as an investor is very much about understanding uh, what a company can be exposed to so we try and get a sense of um how a company is dealing with all the various issues that they face uh, that can hurt their operations or hurt their employees or hurt their supply chains and we're trying to get an understanding of um ultimately how they how well they're dealing with those issues and uh, if, if they don't deal with it and if often it very ends up being a, a reputational damage so it ends up you know hitting the headlines becoming a scandal uh, and and that can have a massive impact uh, on, on the company's bottom line.
0: As well as having immediate impacts on the overall value of a company, reputation affects the reliability of that price over time. One study by German researcher Sabrina Helm found that 12% of investor loyalty was driven by their assessment of a firm's reputation. In turn, investor loyalty is a factor in reducing volatility in share price and in reducing the cost of capital for companies. Investors need to trust the people running the company and the strategy they have laid out, and they need to believe that others, consumers, regulators and investors will trust that company too. That ability to trust is based upon reputation. Let us break that down into three categories then. Trust in the management, trust in the strategy, and a belief that others also trust. Let's start with that question of whether I trust the people I'm investing in. When conducting a reputation audit, it is standard practice to ask stakeholders what they think of an organization's leadership. Sometimes this can feel a bit pointless. Not all CEOs can be or want to be Elon Musk or Steve Jobs, Most are content to remain anonymous, and some pride themselves on doing so. That means that few commentators will have much of an opinion about them. But this part of the reputation audit is important because of the assumptions that the respondent reveals. I don't see the leadership out and about, an interviewee might say, but that's okay because I know they're getting on with the job. Another interpretation of the same situation might wonder whether the board are up to something, shady, or too crisis-stricken to be outpressing the flesh. These differences are crucial to how much you trust an organisation with money from your fund or your pocket. We know from looking at consumer data, and never forget that investors are consumers too, that the difference between a seller with no track record and one that has a good reputation can command price premiums of 8% or more. To put this number in context... 8% is more than the profit margin in many industries and enough of a share price movement to make it into the top 20 most dramatic days on the FTSE 100 or Dow Jones. The reputation of a management team can therefore make a big difference to the readiness of investors to back your firm. Here's Patrick Thomas investment director and head of ESG service at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management to explain why that is.
2: Increasingly, these aren't just environmental or social issues, they're economic issues. So um, actually, um, what they a company that deals with them very well um, is really a sign that it's ran by people who care and are paying attention. So, um, and increasingly, you're seeing that in share price performance. And the second thing that you're seeing, um, and this is a kind of broader point, really, is the the idea of attracting talent into your organization. Um, You're you're seeing it very, very starkly uh, in the technology space that talented technology um, applicants are going to some companies and some other companies are struggling to employ them. And I think you're seeing that kind of across the board. So um, these are big issues for financial issues for shareholders to consider.
0: As well as trusting the management, investors need to believe that the corporate strategy in place is sound. A big part of this is ensuring that the strategy takes account of the greatest sources of risk, both unlikely risks that could have big impacts and more common or inevitable problems, Risks, for example, like major lawsuits. Think tobacco industry, pharmaceuticals, Volkswagen. Risks like the regulators capping your prices because of public cries of profiteering. Hello, energy sector. Hello, payday lenders. Risks like activists targeting your products. Cotton buds, straws and coffee cups. Each of these risks can be moderated through reputation. Governments are more likely to penalise companies and sectors with a poor reputation, it makes election sense. More on that in the next episode, by the way. And shifts in public attitudes on broader issues are often powered by their feelings about a particular company, often one with a poor reputation. Think Starbucks and tax, Amazon and employee conditions, Sports Direct and zero hours contracts.
2: The, the most obvious one, if you look at back in corporate history, is um, a non-financial issue happening to a company um, so think of something like the Volkswagen um, uh, debacle and um, think about Facebook a couple of years ago and privacy um, uh, and then go back a bit further and think about the the oil spill um, in for BP. Um, those are all um, issues um, not really directly impacting corporate profitability. Um, but heavily impacting uh, reputation um, that caused pretty lasting damage um, to both share prices and corporate profitability.
0: All of this is to say that investors have to believe that your organisation has investigated, measured and prepared for umpteen risks. Many of those will be reputational in nature, like the bad taste imparted by big bonuses during a series of redundancies. In other cases, your ability to bounce back from an upset will be affected by how strong your reputation was at the start. The public, government and activists are far more prepared to forgive a company that slips up once than they are to forgive one with a reputation as an habitual offender. For your investors, a good reputation acts as a guarantor that can be drawn against in emergency – your organisation is less likely to swiftly become soil goods if you've started with the benefit of the doubt. As awareness of these reputational risks has risen, many investor and management teams have tried to quantify and assess their exposure. The most common method for doing so is to implement an ESG framework. What is ESG? Here's Patrick again to explain.
2: ESG... Uh... All that refers to is non-financial data. Um, And that data is grouped into three different groups. So one of them is environmental. So that's think about uh, a company uh, and its recycling policies or water policies. Um, One of them is social. And that's all about really how a company interacts with the communities it operates in uh, and how it treats its employees. Uh, And governance is probably an area that um, people are more familiar with. That's about um, things like board composition, executive pay. uh, And really, if social is about um, interaction with people, um, the governance element really is about how well looked after shareholders are.
0: The term ESG investing is often used synonymously with sustainable investing, socially responsible investing, mission-related investing, or screening. But even companies that aren't focused on environmental or social outcomes have started to use ESG ratings as a proxy for measuring risk.
2: I think that the link between the two um, is that increasingly um, your brand um, is increasingly focused Um, almost purely around and not just the kind of product or service that you um, offer um, but the intangible stuff um, that is more difficult to measure but actually ESG is a very very good way of measuring that actually.
0: As a result companies with the top ESG rankings now trade at a 30% premium to the poorest performers. And a poor ESG record is increasingly seen through the lens of business risk, rather than a matter to be considered only in a corporate social responsibility policy. Investors last year moved a record $21 billion into socially responsible investment funds in the US, almost quadrupling the rate of inflows in 2018. And there are now signs that these flows are being accelerated, by existing funds switching to ESG principles and designations in order to meet demand for ethical and reduced-risk products. At the start of the COVID crisis, many people worried that we would see a certain amount of backsliding against environmental and social targets whilst people focused on economic worries. In fact, the investment world has doubled down.
1: So I think a good illustration on the scale that we're seeing flowing into sustainability funds is just to take the last um, couple of months during COVID. So we saw here in the UK uh, about 4.3 billion going into um, ESG funds in those first four months of the year. And at the same time, you saw roughly the same, about 4 billion going out of non-ESG funds. So that gives you a sense, it's not, we're no longer talking about a niche, we're talking about a proper mainstreaming of sustainable investment. In the latest McKinsey Global survey of C-suite executives and
0: investment professionals, 83% say that they expect ESG programmes will contribute more shareholder value in five years than today. Respondents also said that they would be willing to pay about a 10% median premium to acquire a company with a positive record for ESG issues over one with a negative record. Perhaps as a result, in April 2020, at the peak of the COVID instability, the S&P 500 ESG index was outperforming the S&P 500 benchmark. ESG funds maintained more of their value during the COVID-related volatility, and HSBC research comparing the performance of individual company stocks before and after the COVID effect found that the ESG
1: shares beat others by around 7% and i think people have now realised that actually brands and companies that are trying to do something good for the planet uh, actually can end up making more money off it so as an investor uh, trying to to spot which companies are you know getting ahead of a trend like you know starting to produce renewable energy maybe starting to take care of the human rights in their supply chains they might actually be the companies that are going to perform well. Um, So it's gone from this fluffy concept or or maybe sort of a niche that was more ethical to actually becoming pretty mainstream. And and we're seeing a lot of academic research um, and and research from various um, investors showing that companies with good ESG performance are actually performing better uh, than the ones who don't. Um, I think a second reason uh, is also just the kind of huge... Uh, change that we've seen in the last couple of decades around the visibility of issues. So maybe in the past, a company could, you know, act really badly, treat their employees badly, um, you know, pollute uh, local areas, um, displace people from from their homes as they were building a new operation and nobody would hear about it. But in today's, you know, social media, uh, things can very quickly be picked up and can then very quickly go viral. And I think companies are realising that now and therefore taking those sustainability issues a lot more seriously.
0: As ever, when something becomes important, we care more about measuring it and there has been a major gold rush in the ESG analytics space. Just this year, Morningstar, an influential investment research and asset management firm, confirmed that it had acquired the $288 million ESG ratings and research house Sustainalytics. At the same time, ratings agencies have increased their interest in the area. For example, ratings agency Fitch last year published an ESG heat map to highlight the areas that present the biggest risks for a range of industries – and to help users understand how relevant individual ESG topics are to the credit ratings of different sectors. These kinds of publications mark an increase in nuance, an acknowledgement that concerns over air quality, for example, are a bigger risk for auto manufacturers than for the hotel industry, which instead might focus on labour practices and privacy concerns around customer data. And as the sophistication of ESG frameworks improves, it seems likely that their influence will also but there is a long road ahead.
2: One of the issues that we have um, is around definition um, and measurement. And I think that's probably the the bit that's currently missing within ESG. um, That is in other aspects of measuring kind of financial performance. It's very, very easy to compare um, one advertising agency with another advertising agency uh, and work out who's got more Um, uh, brand reputation who's more profitable who has more market share those are quite easy things to measure Um, it's increasingly difficult um, to do the same comparison on the companies um, around environmental and social issues because um, a lot of this data is voluntarily reported by companies Uh, And there there isn't really a sort of standardization for it. So if you have two companies, for example, um, and one company um, has um, very world leading policies around kind of diversity and inclusion, um, but quite um, uh, more poorer policies around um, the environment, And the other, and and if you compare that to a company with the opposite effect, um, how do you measure their two kind of performances? So that's really what this industry is trying to kind of get to grips with, um, to try and make data a little bit more formalised. So you can do a kind of apples and apples comparison.
0: And it isn't just about agreeing on a number. The emphasis of measurement systems will continue to be to try and see beyond the marketing.
1: A really key thing that we always need to focus on is the difference between reputation and reality and we often find that um, a lot of companies think that they can uh, sort of advertise their way out of a reputation crisis but um, you know actually building reputation is not about advertising, it's about action. Um, and so the, there are plenty of examples out there where we, in in our opinion, as an investor, we are seeing companies that are taking the wrong approach, which is, you know, throwing a lot of marketing budget to try and remedy um, a problem in their supply chain. But actually what we are looking for as an investor is proper action that they've, you know, properly dealt with the issue. Um, and we're not gonna hold a company in a sort of you know think that a company's a terrible company just because they've had an issue um, the real test is how you deal with the issue Uh, and so if you deal with the issue by you know throwing advertising money on it uh, trying to avoid dealing with it uh, trying to bury it that's a very typical sign in our view of a company that is not particularly good at dealing with it and think that reputation is 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 simply something they can maneuver but actually reputation for us is It's about action. It's about actually dealing with it. And we will always use our research team uh, and our people to try and really dig underneath the sort of the veneer of their reputation to really try and figure out what they're doing on the ground. And
0: that brings us back to the bottom line, to the decisions made by investors. We know that they are influenced by the reputation of management teams and also that reputation forms a vital part of risk assessment. A further element, implicit within the ESG approach, is that investors want to know that other people trust your company. It is not enough to have good policies and risk management. Investors need to know that the government trusts you enough to give you a licence to operate, that consumers trust your goods and trading practices, and that the media respects your reputation enough to listen to your side of the story rather than hounding you into the ground. These facts will show up in your sales figures, sure, But the best way to troubleshoot problems early is to carefully steward your reputation. And if this still isn't enough to persuade the sceptics in your organisation that you should be more actively managing your reputation, then perhaps this final thought will help. Marta Borhag told me that for Aviva, the next step is that fund managers communicate more with consumers and also ask for their views about what
1: they should be asking of companies in their portfolio what technology opens up is an is an opportunity for us to actually have a dialogue with people so we would tell the end customer you know this vote is coming up here is what we're talking to this company about, whether it's plastic, whether it's, you know, um, racism is a big, big issue. What are we actually talking to the companies about? And then we can actually get feedback. So we can hear from uh, people, what do they want to vote? Um, And it doesn't mean that they all get um, a say, but at least they can feel that they can voice their opinion. And we then have to, and sort of my dream is is a world where the asset manager actually has to explain what, you know, directly to the customers, why did we do what we do? Um, And if we haven't listened to, let's say, 90% of our customers said, we want you to vote against something or in favor of something. And if we chose to do something else, we will be held accountable by the customers. So we will have to explain to them that maybe, for example, the reason why we voted differently than them is we actually are convinced that the company is doing enough. And here's our evidence for that, for example. And the, the pilot was fantastic it really got a lot of um you know people were very excited about it um they loved having that engagement and that dialogue and i think that could dramatically transform um the asset management industry which has to date been a very very one way um uh, one way of communicating where where we are kind of you know sending people an annual report but that's it Uh, and we're not really giving people a say
0: This points to the very real possibility that fund managers will not only be heavily influenced by the reputation that your firm has amongst consumers, but will also act to influence that reputation themselves by using their own research teams to find out more about companies and then publicising that openly to their own shareholders. This could lead to virtuous circles in the case of some firms – where the research backs the marketing that they're putting out there about themselves and helps to build a positive reputation. But for companies that try to market their way out of a reputation crisis, it could instead lead to a downward vicious cycle. What are our key takeaways from today then? Investors need to trust the people running a company, the strategy they have laid out, and they need to believe that others, consumers, regulators and so on, will trust that company too. A healthy reputation contributes to investor loyalty, which in turn reduces share price volatility and the cost of capital. A good reputation reduces the risk of investments by acting as a shield from government intervention and a guarantor of your company's ability to bounce back after a problem. That makes your company a more attractive proposition. Environmental, social and governance frameworks are often used as a proxy for reputation in the investment world. Organisations with better ESG records show strong share price performance and are increasingly popular, in part because they are viewed as less risky than other investments. That's everything from us. A big thank you to my guests, Marta Borhauk from Aviva and Patrick Thomas from Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. I hope we've given you a glimpse into why reputation matters so much to investors and a bit more ammunition to explain the naysayers in your company. I also hope you'll join me in two weeks time when I'll be talking to Mark McGregor about why all businesses feel like the government hates them. In the meantime, if you've enjoyed this episode, please do find us at whyeverybodyhatesyou.co.uk. And leave us a review on your favourite podcasting app. Thank you for listening to Why Everybody Hates You. And remember, you are not alone.